Uh, Would you pray with me as we give this time to God? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that we can gather here, that we can worship you through our singing, through our fellowshipping, through our studying of the word, through our giving of tithes and offerings. God, we thank you for providing this place and ask that you would use this passage today that we're looking at and apply it to our lives, that you would show us ways that we can learn and grow and become more and more like you through this time. In your name, Lord, amen. Uh, We've probably all been told or heard the phrase, uh, make good choices, right? And the appropriate response in general to someone saying make good choices to you is to roll your eyes and uh, sigh. It's a, but here's the, here's the thing. Uh, none of us really want to admit, uh, but is true, is that we all regularly make bad choices, don't we? Uh, if you're sitting next to somebody you know, if you want to just elbow them right now and be like, hey, McNutt is talking to you today, go ahead and do that. That was your first mistake. That was not good. Uh, so you're the one that needs to listen to this. not a good choice have a fun time on your car ride home Uh, we're working our way through first and second kings this summer in a series called choose wisely because we're not good at making choices uh, whether we want to admit it or not and we're turning to kings because in this ancient record of the history of all of the different israelite kings of israel and judah Each king's life is summed up at one point with a simple phrase. uh, They either did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight or they did evil in the Lord's sight. And even as we're doing this series, we're kind of embracing these two colors, red and blue. And you can tell week to week what kind of uh, leader we're using based on the color that we opt for. If it's red, they did some evil in God's sight. And if it was blue, they did some good in God's sight. But here's the deal. This pattern repeats throughout Kings. And it's important because ultimately that question of what we do before God is what truly matters uh, so much. Here's how I know we all make bad choices. Uh, Raise your hand if you have ever looked back at something you did and thought to yourself, what was I thinking? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hindsight is super helpful. Uh, What was I thinking? We've all made bad choices that we look back and wonder how we could have been so, so off. 20 years ago, I'm not going to tell the whole story uh, because then that would just be the whole time. But 20 years ago, uh, at my first church where I was a youth pastor, I took the youth group on a winter retreat and I made the decision to try out snowboarding. Some of you see where this is going. Uh, And here's why. There were five middle school guys. They were just 12 years old, and they had to have an adult with them, and they wanted to learn how to snowboard, and nobody else wanted to do it. And I was like, I'll do it. And and to be quite honest, I was like, I think I get how it works. Uh, I think I can learn this. It'll go really well. I was a lot younger and dumber than I am now. And and here's the deal, people. I do not get how it works. It did not go well. Uh, My wife, when I walked back in at the end of the day, my loving, supportive bride, we we were still fairly newlyweds at the point, uh, laughed at me (laughs) because I could hardly move. Like I came, I was so sore, I could hardly walk for days. 
Uh, snowboarding wipeouts are not, whatever. Uh, here's, here's the worst part of uh, that bad decision. The reason I thought I would be good at snowboarding <laughs> was because I was really, really, really good at the game SSX Tricky, a snowboarding video game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I was like, I understand the fundamentals. I get the principles. My body will, yeah. no, I, I do not, right? And so here's the deal, bad choices. Uh, sometimes we can laugh about them. Sometimes uh, they cause pain and disruption for days or weeks or months or years or even lifetimes, don't they? Uh, last week, we looked at uh, with Pastor Todd how idols turn Solomon away from God and considered what idols might be luring us away today. Towards the end of Solomon's reign, because Solomon had gone so far astray and so off course, God sent his prophet Ahijah to deliver a devastating message. Because of Solomon's bad choices, the Israelite nation was going to fracture into two. The ten of the tribes were going to leave and become their own nation. And the house of David, Solomon's descendants, would only be left with a fraction of the original kingdom. And God was like, and look, here's the deal, man. I, that's the way I like to picture him talking. He goes, uh, you're only getting anything at all because I love David. Out of respect for how David followed me, I'm still going to let the house of David have these two tribes. And I'm going to wait till after you die, Solomon, to do it. For David. So Solomon gets this devastating news. And Rehoboam, Solomon's son, who we're going to be looking at today, models another kind of decision making that we can be learning from, that we need to be aware of. In 1 Kings 12, verse 1, it says, Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all Israel had gathered to make him king. It made sense that he was going to Shechem, a lot of significant events for the nation of Israel happened in this spot. And so he goes to Shechem, uh, where all of Israel had gathered to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of this, he returned from Egypt, for he had fled to Egypt to escape from King Solomon. The leaders of Israel summoned him, and Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak with Rehoboam. Uh, there's a couple things to notice here. First off, Rehoboam was probably already starting off all of this a little bit nervous. Uh, there hadn't been a lot of kings of Israel yet, but so far, every single transition of power had had violence and bloodshed. Going from Saul to David resulted in a seven-year civil war. From David to Solomon resulted in some of Solomon's brothers, like all sorts of rivals needing to be killed and put to death because they wanted the throne as well. That there's this, there's this sense that when there was transitions, the king was vulnerable. That it was a time that was ripe for violence, for dangerous uh, things to happen to him. And so further complicating this tension is the arrival of Jeroboam. And, and you know, if, if we were going to have ominous music, this is when it would play. He had been Solomon's labor administrator, but ended up leading a rebellion. 
in 1 Kings 11, it introduces him, the rebellion he led, and the shocking news that the same prophet Ahijah, uh, who had told Solomon the kingdom was going to be fractured, told Jeroboam that he was the one that was going to become king of the other ten tribes. He was like, here's what's going on. Well, Solomon may have been aware of this. He was certainly upset about the uh, rebellion. And so he had tried to have Jeroboam killed, and Jeroboam fled to Egypt so that he could survive. And now he's back. And he's not just back. He's got all of the other leaders of Israel, the nation, with him going, hey, Rehoboam, let's talk. Probably not a great moment. Verse 4, it says, Your father was a hard master, they said. Lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us. Then we will be your loyal subjects. Rehoboam replied, Give me three days to think this over, then come back for my answer. So the people went away. Uh, Solomon had essentially enslaved many of his own people. All of the many uh, projects he did, the giant buildings and structures that went on for years and years constructing, were done through forced labor, which is a really nice way of saying he made his own people slaves. Right? He was a hard rule. He did not finish his reign well. Jeroboam's offer is surprisingly good. Right? Because Jeroboam's already got the prophecy. You're going to become king. And yet, he's coming to Rehoboam and going, look, we, we don't need to go that road. Like, just, just be a little nicer. And we'll all, we, we want to stay a one nation. So King Rehoboam, verse 6, discussed the matter with the older men who had counseled his father, Solomon. What is your advice, he asked. How should I answer these people? The older counselors replied, if you are willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. This was some solid advice. Uh, and it made sense to listen to them. It was a very standard practice for the Israelite kings to have these elders who had had the respect of the community and experience and had seen a lot of things to give wisdom on how to lead the country. It was very standard to have them listen to them and apply their advice. Uh, verse 8 says, though, but Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men and instead asked the opinion of the young men who had grown up with him and were now his advisors. What is your advice, he asked them. How should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? The young men replied, this is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter burden. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. I'm not talking about the little, although that would be bad. The, uh, they're, not, they're not fun. But a scorpion was a type of whip that had a barbed nail at the end of the whip. So it was much Worse, much more painful than a regular whip. The author here calls these guys uh, young who are given this advice, but 
most likely they were the same age as Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was 41 years old. So these guys were old enough to know better. And, and uh, scholars kind of think that maybe the reason the author calls them young is that their advice was juvenile. It was crass. Uh, how, sh- how should I put this? The children have already left. Uh, when he says, my father's waste, that's translators being a little bit more delicate or softening. The, a more accurate translation would have been loins. And little finger was not referring to his finger. Like these guys, juvenile and crass, you get it? Uh, I'm a youth. I, like, if I have an excuse to point out this, whatever. Uh, it's classy stuff, these euphemisms they're using. It says in verse 12, three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to hear Rehoboam's decision, just as the king had ordered. But Rehoboam spoke harshly to the people, for he rejected the advice of the older counselors and followed the counsel of his younger advisors. He told the people, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. So the king paid no attention to the people. This turn of events was the will of the Lord, for it fulfilled the Lord's message to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh. When all Israel realized that the king had refused to listen to them, they responded, down with the dynasty of David, we have no interest in the son of Jesse. Back to your homes, O Israel, look out for your own house, O David. So the people of Israel returned home. But Rehoboam continued to rule over the Israelites who lived in the towns of Judah, the southern part of the kingdom. King Rehoboam sent Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor, to restore order. But the people of Israel stoned him to death. Uh, It was where they threw rocks at someone until they died. Painful way to go. Uh, This is not how Rehoboam was thinking, you know, my dad kept these people in order and kept them doing it. I'll keep them in order. I'm going to send him and it's going to all come together and they'll realize they don't have a choice. Well, he gets this news. It says when this news reached King Rehoboam, he quickly jumped into his chariot and fled to Jerusalem. Wake up call. And to this day, the northern tribes of Israel have refused to be ruled by a descendant of David. This is written hundreds of years later. And at that point in time, the author is going, hey, we have never followed one of those David guys since. The northern ten tribes made Jeroboam their king leaving only the two southern tribes to Rehoboam and the descendants of David. And it all went downhill from there. You know, if you were to read through every passage of First and Second Kings, because we won't have time to hit all of them over the course of this summer, what you'll quickly realize is that it's just a downward spiral of one increasingly worse decision after another. And here's part of the summary that we see of Rehoboam's reign found in chapter 14. In verse 21 it says, Rehoboam, son of Solomon, was king in Judah. He was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem. The city the Lord had chosen from among all the tribes of Israel as a place to honor his name. Rehoboam's mother was Namah, an Ammonite woman. During Rehoboam's reign, 
The people of Judah did what was evil in the Lord's sight, provoking his anger with their sin, for it was even worse than that of their ancestors, for they also built for themselves pagan shrines and set up sacred pillars and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every green tree. They were putting these places of worship for pagan gods all over God's kingdom. There were even male and female shrine prostitutes throughout the land. The people imitated the detestable practices of the pagan nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. It's such a a powerful thought there, isn't it? That God had cleaned the land of this, and then they're bringing it back in. There aren't many happily ever afters in 1st and 2nd Kings. But that can be true of life in general, isn't it? In this imperfect, broken world. Rehoboam made bad choices and reaped the consequences of them. The kicker is he asked for advice, which is good, but chose to listen to the wrong people. And it, it seems so obvious to us, looking at what he did, to know what was wrong, isn't it? Right? That Rehoboam just kept going around asking people until he found someone that told him what he wanted to hear. Not what he needed to hear. He waited till he got the answer he wanted, not needed. And I think there's a few big takeaways for us today. Because even though this happened thousands of years ago, this is still a very real issue for people now, isn't it? The temptation to keep going until we find someone who will tell us what we want to hear. So, I think there's a few takeaways for us as we consider how to make good decisions. And the first one is this. That we need to go to God. I I think too often, God is an afterthought in our decision making, isn't he? That that we'll think about something, we'll consider, and oftentimes we've kind of made up our mind before we, if we even, pray to God about it. And it's almost becoming more of like it's a prayer that's an FYI instead of a request for wisdom. It's almost more of like a, hey God, if you could just confirm that I've made the right decision here, I'd appreciate it. That too often we've reversed the order of what we need to do when it comes to decisions. In James 1.5 it says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. It's one of my favorite verses in scripture because God is telling us, Hey, if you want wisdom, just ask for it. Right? That, that, that we may have a decision, a situation, something that we're struggling through, that we're trying to think through, what do I do here? And it isn't that God, if we reach out to him, is going to go, seriously, man, you don't know the answer to that? How old are you? Right? That, that isn't God's response. God wants us to ask. God wants us to invite him into the process of making these decisions, whether it's big or whether it's small. Sometimes this may mean setting aside some dedicated time. To be quiet and go before God and just pray about, God, this is what I'm trying to figure out what to do. Like, God, please help me to make the wise decision. Give me your wisdom in this scenario. Oftentimes, oftentimes, I think 
a different case is the scenario, right? That throughout the day, we face situations where we have decisions with, with our coworker, with our classmate, with a teammate, with someone that we live next door to, with someone that we live with, right? And in those moments, it may look like just pausing and quietly inviting God into it. God, give me wisdom as I respond to this person. God, give me wisdom as I respond to this opportunity or decision. God, give me wisdom as I respond to this situation that's playing out in front of me. Whatever it is, pausing to ask God for wisdom, to ask yourself, am I making the wise choice in this moment? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, never stop praying. Paul wrote these words, and it, it's a little intimidating at first glance, right? I remember somebody talking about it once and saying that, that he almost envisioned, you know, am I supposed to be just walking around with my eyes closed, uh, just praying nonstop to God? And that's not what Paul is describing here, right? But what he is describing is an attitude of life, a, a pattern of life where we constantly turn to God throughout the day, on big and small issues, that it's just kind of this ongoing conversation. Some of us have something like that with friends, right, that we text with, that just throughout the day we're shooting messages back and forth. It's just this ongoing interaction. And God is saying, hey, this is what it means to never stop praying with me. That you're just constantly checking in. That you're just throughout the day, hey, God, give me wisdom in this moment. Hey, God, Please help me to know what to say to this person. Hey, God, Lord, give me wisdom with this difficult teammate. Lord, give me wisdom with my child. Give me wisdom with my parent. Give me wisdom with my coworker. Whatever the situation is that we're constantly going to God first. The next takeaway uh, that I think we learned from Rehoboam's uh, example, negative example, and how to make good decisions is to seek wise advice. Now, Rehoboam was right to ask for advice. It's like the one thing he got right in this story. Uh, remember, we all make bad decisions. We've established that. Uh, it's never our intent, I would hope, to make a bad decision. I, you know, I, looking back at my bad decisions, it wasn't like I was ever like, man, you know what would really screw this up and complicate my life? For the next few weeks if I do this that sounds good to me right like oftentimes we do what we do because we believe that we're right right like of course I believe I'm right when I make the decision I make I might be a little suspicious it's off but so often we think we're right but there's times that we're not right that was a convoluted sentence I hope it got through uh, I know I can think of moments in my life where I wish I had asked somebody wiser and more experienced for some advice before I jumped into it. Right? Proverbs 12, 15 says, Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. See, it's foolish to just assume I must be right. When I'm making decisions about work, relationships, conflict, where I receive teaching, how I handle my finances, how to handle a difficult class coach, teacher, the wise thing to do is to listen to someone else, to not just assume 
I'm right, or I have the answers. Proverbs 19.20 says, get all the advice and instruction you can, so you will be wise the rest of your life. Looking for advice is not weakness, it actually shows wisdom. Right, that when we reach out to someone else for advice, part of what we're doing in that moment is recognizing our own limitations. Right, recognizing that we are imperfect, fallible human beings that sometimes think we have all the information even when we don't. And so when I reach out to someone else for advice, what I'm doing that is a sign of strength is I'm recognizing, man, here's somebody with some tools that I might not have that can help me in this situation. Now that's a sign of wisdom to identify people that can point us in the right direction, that have experience or background in what we're facing and can weigh in with the benefits of that wisdom and experience. God wants you to get all the advice you can get. God wants you to be wise and to make the best decisions. The last thing I want to highlight that we learn from this and how to make good decisions is this, that we need to accept wise advice. I think sometimes, I don't know if you've ever done this, I've felt that temptation to, that, that when I hear something that's good or that I should do something about, I have this moment of like, ah, oh, that is good. And it's almost like I have this sense of accomplishment of I have, by hearing this, I have accomplished something. In the future, I'll work on the next step, which is doing something about it. But I've made a lot of progress by identifying it in this moment. Right? And, and God is kind of going, man, it's really not just good enough to hear it. you got to accept it and do something about it. Right? That, that in 2 Timothy 4.3, Paul writes to Timothy, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, they will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. And this is the trap that's so easy for all of us to fall into. That I know there's something I want or I want to do or a decision I want to make. And there's a part of me that might even be vaguely aware that it might not be the best choice that I want to make. And so I start asking some other people for advice. And I don't like this advice, and I don't like this advice. And I, know. and I finally find somebody that says what I want to hear, right? And it gives me the confirmation, the rationalization, the justification. I've kind of manipulated the scenario by finding someone that's going to kind of give me permission to do what a small part of me might even recognize is not the best decision, but they said it, so like it's got to be right. And, and the temptation for us is that we rationalize and justify and find people to tell us what we want to hear so we can make the choice we want to make instead of the choice we should make. Rehoboam liked the advice that made him look powerful and strong in his mind. He didn't want to appear weak compared to his dad and backtrack on what his father had done. So he found people that told him what he wanted to hear, and in his case, the consequences were massive. We can't just keep looking around until we get the answer we want. We need to have the wisdom to hear the answers we need to hear and accept and do them, even if it's hard. Proverbs 27.6 says this, Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. 
You know, when a friend tells us a painful truth in a loving way, why are they doing that? Because they have our best interests at heart, right? That, that if somebody works up the nerve to brave the awkwardness or the uncomfortableness of telling me something I don't want to hear, but they genuinely want the best thing for me, that's worth listening to, isn't it? There's a lot of reasons people will tell us what we want to hear. It might be because they just don't care, right? They really don't care how it works out. They don't care what's going on. It's easier to just tell you what you want to know. Maybe they don't like conflict. And they don't want to get in a debate with you. And it's just easier, man. I'm just going to tell them what he wants to hear. I don't need all this drama going through. Maybe they enjoy seeing fireworks. And they, it, it might be kind of entertaining to see you screw up. I think the point is for us to recognize, man, who are the people that have my best interests at heart? And are they the ones that I'm allowing to speak into my life? Right? That God is the one that ultimately has the best interests at heart for me. But then there's also individuals that are pursuing and following God and honoring God and, and, and studying his word and becoming more and more like Christ that will also share that same godly love that want to see the best for me as well. And are they the ones I'm listening to? One of the, one of the red flags for whether or not somebody is a good person to go to advice for is do they agree with you 100% of the time? Because that's probably not great. Because we've already established you make mistakes and now they're agreeing with all of those too. So they're clearly mixed up as well. That we should be giving this serious thought. Not just randomly throwing out our requests for advice. Here's what I want you to do right now as kind of a, a practice round, a test round. A little bit of a homework for this week. Grab a piece of paper, uh, maybe from the pew rack in front of you. Maybe open up the notes app in your phone. Uh, just grab something to write down on or type into and answer the question, what decision am I currently facing? What decision am I facing? And, and this could be a big one. It could be a little one. I mean, the reality is we face decisions all the time, but some are weightier than others. But what's a decision that I'm facing? And write that down. Now I want you to write down these next three questions uh, that we're going to kind of work through on the screen one at a time. Uh, as you consider what you need to do in this decision you need to make. The first question is this, have I gone to God about this? And then write yes or no. If the answer is no, you already know what your next thing is you need to do. Right? That when we leave church today, your first priority is, man, I need to take some time and actually go to God about this decision. I need to invite him into this process. I need to, he already knows about it. Right? Like you're not hiding anything from him by not bringing it up. You're just missing out on the wisdom that he can give you in it. So have I gone to God about this? The second question is this. Who can I go to for wise advice? Write that question down. And if one or two or three names come to mind, write them down. You know, who are some people who may have some background in what I'm facing? Who are some people that love God and take their faith seriously? Who are some people that I can trust with this information and go to that are going to have 
my best interests at heart. That are going to be willing to tell me what I need to hear, not just what I want to hear. And then the last question is this, how can I be better at accepting wise advice? In other words, what that might mean is right now you're going to text one of those people and say, hey, I need to talk to you about something. Hey, I've got a decision I'm working on and I want some advice. Could you start praying about it before we talk? Right? Put some accountability into place for how you're going to be better at accepting advice. Making a plan, not just hoping it works out, because it generally doesn't, right? But being intentional and going, how am I going to be accountable about this? How am I going to set up things in my life that I actually pursue this? And maybe it means reaching out to someone right away. Maybe it means going to God and saying, and just praying, like, God, I'm not even sure who the names are that I should put on this list. Could you give me some wisdom in choosing some names? But finding some ways that practically, you know, another way to put this, how can I be better at accepting wise advice? What am I going to practically do this week to follow through on this? Because we all have decisions that we're facing at any given moment. And what are we going to do practically to follow through on what God is teaching us through Rehoboam's bad example for how we could make better, wiser decisions? I want you to tackle these questions this week. Would you pray with me as we invite God into this? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for this painful example of Rehoboam. We're we're so grateful that you, you don't just tell us the good stories in Scripture, but you tell us the bad ones too, and that we can learn from them. And God, we ask that you would help us to be a people not known for just going and finding the answers we want to find, but God, that we would be a church that is willing to listen to you, that goes to you, that is, that is able to hear what we need to hear and act on it. God, we ask that you would open our eyes to the wise advice around us that you give us and that those you would entrust to use in our lives and that you would give us the ears to hear it and the will to act on it. In your name, amen.